When I look at showing early successes in a program, I'm looking for the rock stars, the people that are really using it right. I'm going to interview them. I'm going to talk to them and find out what's helping them get their quota. How did they get the prospect? Hello and welcome to Masters of Comms, the podcast for transformative communication techniques straight from the pros. In the next episode, our guest expert will share how she made an impact on her sales teams with an influential social selling strategy. I'm Lamar Williams, host of Masters of Comms, as well as head of partnerships at Sociable. And today I'm accompanied by our guest from Quest Software, Sandy Adam, Global Sales Enablement Senior Manager. Hello, Sandy, and welcome to Masters of Comms. Hi, Lamar. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you today. We're excited to have you on the show. Sandy, maybe you can take a minute to introduce yourself to our listener. Sure. The story about me, I think, is kind of unique from other marketers in that I began my career as an electronics technician and just fell in love with technology and have transitioned over my career of 17 plus years uh, working with B2B tech companies. And I've pretty much done everything from designing websites to SEO to database marketing and lead gen. And I think that I found a real turning point in my career back in like 2002. 2007, 2008, when social was emerging in the marketplace. And I just instinctively knew that this was going to be how we were going to communicate going forward. So I really began specializing in this area and focusing on helping technology companies. And I worked for an engineering simulation software company as their global social media director and implemented blogs and Twitter and LinkedIn and all sorts of things and doing everything from content development to images, very hands-on. And then back in 2012, long before it was called employee advocacy or social selling, I was starting to introduce the concept to our sales team on how they needed to be sharing content out on the social platforms to be seen. So that really led me to my current role here at Quest Software. I manage a global social selling program to over 800 reps, and I offer not only training on MOS to the organization on professional branding and prospecting for pipeline, but I also do individual coaching, mentoring various people, and do a lot of soft skills training to get them prepped. And it's a, it's just a very exciting role to be in. And between training reps on LinkedIn Sales Navigator, and we use Sociable currently for our curating content and delivering content to the reps, that's about 90% of my role. Fantastic. And I think this now would be a great time to tell us exactly what Quest Software does. Could you give us a brief overview? Sure. So the fancy way of saying it is at Quest, we create and manage the software that benefits new technologies while empowering users with data and streamlining IT operations and hardening cybersecurity. So that's a long sentence, right? But more simply put, you know, we make sure that important information stays safe within companies and their computers work well with that software. Not a day goes by when you aren't hearing something 
about cybersecurity and hackers and ransomware. And so we are on the leading edge of that, helping companies stay safe. Quest has been around for over 30 years, and really about 95% of the Fortune 500 rely on our products to protect their data and their assets. Currently, we serve about 130,000 customers in over 100 countries. Wow, that is pretty vast, I would say. It is. Yeah, it's a it's a big deal. We have great partners. We team up with the likes of Microsoft, for instance, because a lot of their products are melded into ours and we need to protect, the, again, protect the customer's data and their assets. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. Now we know a little bit more about Quest Software. Tell me, if we dive right in, why did Quest initially decide to implement a social selling strategy, possibly illustrate some of the challenges that your sales reps were facing at the time and where and whether there were any key factors that contributed to your decision. Sure. I'm going to say number one, the reason they decided to implement the program is because I'm a really good salesperson. And while the company, when I joined the company, I came in as their global social media manager and developed a strategy for the company on how to approach organic social. But I started seeing there was a real opportunity to work closer and take the skills I had developed with social selling and implement them with the sales team. So I moved over to sales enablement. I went to the CRO one day and I said, I've got a lot of experience in this area and I'd love to be on this team. So I showed some of my successes at previous companies. You know, I worked at Hitachi for for a while and Ansys for a number of years. And I so I had really good stories to tell and and results to share. And what they had in place when I joined was 800, 900 LinkedIn sales navigator licenses. But I could tell from the data that people weren't using it as much. They were logging in, but they weren't saving leads. They didn't know how to, they really didn't know how to use the tool. So the first uh, goal was to get them using the tool properly so that they could get the robustness of the system. And otherwise, reps were just left to figure this out on their own. And that's never a good thing when you introduce a tool. Reps are, you know, inundated. They're always saying, oh, we have too many tools. We don't know what to do. So we really focused in on getting the tools right and showing some early successes. So when I look at showing early successes in a program, I'm looking for the rock stars, the people that are really using it right. I'm going to go look and figure out, are they hitting their quota? I'm going to interview them. I'm going to talk to them and find out what's helping them get their quota. How did they get the prospect? And I was trying to move them away from relying on the standard cold call, cold emailing strategies that we're starting, we were starting to see diminishing returns on um, pre-pandemic. And of course, during the pandemic, it got even worse, right? So simply because I had run successful programs, I was able to show that it in terms of revenue, revenue that the business could understand that this was a revenue generator for them. And it was green lighted to implement the program. 
That's a very good information, actually. I have one question on that. Was there a problem with revenue or were they not generating enough revenue from? No, 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 no. It wasn't, you know, companies want more revenue. I mean, you're, you have growth plans for your company, right? We actually are part of private equity. We're not a public company. And of course, so we have investors that are looking for growth. So growth is the number one priority for us, growth and revenue. And how did your social selling program integrate within your existing sales strategy. Could you mention maybe what worked and what didn't work? Well, that's an interesting question. Our, the existing strategy at the time was demand gen. Come to our webinar, download our white paper, the, the traditional demand gen tools. And, and those work. But again, the marketplace changed over the last few years. You know, people don't want to sign up for everything and they, and they don't want to be inundated with a lot of messaging. So it was really looking at how could we meet in, in the journey they wanted to be in. You know, just because somebody downloads your white paper doesn't mean they're ready for a demo of your product. It means they're doing research. And so shifting from a demand gen from the sales team, that's marketing's role. We're going to let marketing handle demand gen and lead gen. But from a sales perspective, we really wanted to position our our sellers as trusted advisors. Value selling was a much more important. We take a much more consultative approach to working with our customers that really isn't leveraged in cold calls and cold emails like it was, right? So, so we switched. When whenever I'm I'm working with a sales team or I'm working with a tool, I'm going to separate it into three different pieces. My top performers, my mid-level performers, and then the low performers, right? So my top performers that's my low hanging fruit. I can give them more instruction, more information, more education, and they're going to take it and they're going to run with it because they're already perhaps implementing part of the strategy or part of the tool. My people down on the bottom, my, my low followers, I tend to kind of shelf them over to the side for a little while because they're going to be the hardest to change their minds. And I want to see in my program success. I want to see some immediate success to prove the value of my program program so that I can then get additional resources perhaps or funding for adding on an employee advocacy tool, that sort of thing. So I divide my groups into three and then my goal is to take that middle group and move them up and then take all of that information and work with my sales ops teams to start understanding the data, keeping it a very data-driven program. Are my top sellers on, for instance, Sales Navigator also hitting their quotas? Is there a correlation? So I think the thing that you see me working with the most is correlation data, not necessarily causation data, because all of this stuff can be very challenging to prove. Anyone who's in a sales enablement role understands that definitely. Just because you attended my training class doesn't mean necessarily that my training class caused you to be more successful. There's too many other factors. Got it. Fantastic. That would kind of lead me into, into a different light, let's say. Can you tell us more about the content strategy that was adopted for your social selling program and also how you tailor your communications to resonate with your sales team members? Sure. I think the most important thing 
Well, well, let's start with the content. I have always had the uh, direction that it's an 80-20. It's the Pareto rule, right? 80-20, 80% of the content has to be higher level, industry-related trends that are happening, things that my buyers want to know about and may not necessarily know about. They're not sitting at their desk waiting to hear about how great my product is. They're looking for value. And that's even more true now than it than it has been the last five years, that trusted advisor approach. Now, on the flip side, and I'm going to say this, when you implement that higher level industry standard information in your employee advocacy program, you're actually teaching your sales reps in addition to teaching your customers. So it's kind of my my sly way of getting my reps to understand new emerging topics, cybersecurity trends, AI trends. So the two go, they just go very hand in hand. Where are you giving them this information? How, how are you creating it? Are you pulling it from somewhere? Yeah, a lot of different sources. So just like, you know, back in the day, I would teach reps, okay, you know, get your Google alerts out and, and type in this topic and save it and get all this information, which you could do. You could still do that today, right? Look at different blogs that are coming out, all of the different, the McKinsey's, the Forrester's, the Gartner reports that are coming out to get information. All of that is still available, but it requires a lot of work on the salesperson. So instead, I do the work. And of course, I have a tool that I can pull in RSS feeds. I can look at the content. I can assure that it is going to be valuable to our audience, to the persona that we buy to, and then uh, make some slight adjustments. And of course, there's always fun things I can do too. Oftentimes it's working with a pre-sales engineer and say, hey, let's, let's teach you how to write a quick blog or an article for LinkedIn and help them along in that way to build their professional image. So a lot of different ways to bring that content in. I would say, you know, obviously monitoring our corporate pages and sharing that. I always give the brand first first dibs on reach. So we kind of have a, an informal agreement that if they're posting something on LinkedIn company page, I'm going to leave that alone for a day, let them get the first lift on reach. And reps will naturally gravitate to sharing that content if they see it in their feed. But you know, as we know, LinkedIn changes their algorithm so frequently that you may not be seeing everything. So pulling it into a tool where you can really feed it out is the route that makes the most sense to me. We launched Sociable in April. Now, I've used many other tools through the years, and some of them were great, and, and some of them veered off from their employee advocacy path to internal comms. One of the things that I loved about Sociable that was really, to me, a game changer was the translations that were built in. As I said earlier, we serve a global audience. And while in today's world, you know, even Europeans are so kind as to speak English, Americans are not so kind as to speak many languages, but I could give that content and I could translate it for my reps in the other countries that they could deliver in their own language to build again that trusted rapport, it doesn't look like corporate generated content, right? 
that's fantastic. Great to hear the language conversion. It's always necessary when you're a global enterprise. So all of that being important, how do you engage and train your sales teams on, on your program? Were there any particular challenges or successes with engagement that you could share? Well, one of the interesting things is that, you know, budgets are tight. The economy is not the most spectacular. And so I approached this as a pilot program and I asked for a hundred licenses. Let me, let me show you how this works. But I set up some rules of engagement. So first of all, I put together a very strong sales enablement strategy. Here's how we're going to support this program. Here's how we're going to communicate to our reps on a regular basis. Here's the training that we're going to offer them on a, a regular basis. And by regular, I mean monthly. I'm doing monthly trainings on different topics and then putting out a newsletter, communications, Another great feature of Sociable, getting that newsletter out, not only here's what you might have missed kind of posts, but hey, I haven't seen you on the platform in two weeks. Here's why you need to be back on and consistent because these types of programs do ebb and flow, right? And you really have to stay on top of it. So besides getting their license, they had to commit to posting to posting two pieces of content per week. They had to commit to attending the monthly user meeting. And I'll go into the user meeting in a few minutes and how I run those. And that's it. I mean, very simple, right? Rules of engagements. Oh, and they had to have an optimized LinkedIn profile and I would teach them how to do that. So I think the key has been the users meeting. Every month we have one, they're invited to, I, I run nine different sessions actually, so that I'm running three in each geo. And it's really designed for them to, as I explained to them, you're teaching me as much as I'm teaching you. So you're teaching me about the, what kind of content you need to talk to a, a buyer about so that I can go find that content for you. And then by teaching me again about the product, I start to learn how to change the the generic description of a piece of content into something that would be a little bit more meaningful. And I, I, we just use it as a feedback session. That's fantastic. They get some hands-on learning. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we sit, you know, we'll sit, we'll bring up a screen. Okay, who's having problems? I don't know what my statistics are. Or how do I know what my audience is? They, you know, I, I always try to create a very safe space for learning. It's like I don't record a lot of my sessions because I want people to talk freely, right? Yeah, you know, I've, I've got I've, everybody else on sales enablement is recording every single training session. And I'm like, no, because we're going to have different difficult conversations and that they don't want everybody else to be able to hear. So completely agree. Building a successful social selling program often involves various departments or collaboration across various departments. So how do you foster alignment and collaboration between sales, marketing, and maybe other relevant teams at Quest? You build your relationships internally. I have friends in IT. <laughs> And why do I need friends in IT? Besides them being nice people, of course, I need my CRM synced 
to my sales navigator. I may need the lead generation that's available through the program like Sociable to tie into the marketing. So I need to I need to build those relationships with the other stakeholders in the company. And then I, of course, need to communicate and build those relationships with executive leaders because sometimes they can just they glaze over this like, I don't get what you're doing, but it's working. So keep going which is fine, but you you really need to get a lot of people involved. A PR, um, a situation came up recently where I found out because companies don't communicate internally as well as they could. I found out that some of our pre-sales teams were going to be leveraged by the PR team as thought leaders in the industry, which is amazing and great. But the first couple of articles I saw that came out, that pre-sales person had a really crummy LinkedIn profile. And I'm like, whoa, let's get them looking good and professional so that it's helping your efforts. So I'm trying to help them other departments with what they're trying to do. Another good example, going back to IT and the CRM, we use Salesforce and, you know, historically companies have a lot of dirty data in there. So in my sales navigator program, I can train the reps how to update the CRM with the newest information. So as now as a team across departments, we're all cleaning up our data so that we have the best data available. So uh, meeting regularly with all of these uh, teams is is vital to, to progressing. Even if even if I go to a, let's say I go to a roadmap meeting on the CRM and the changes that are coming up, they may not directly affect my program, but they keep me visible and in the hearts and minds of my coworkers. And they know what I do. Um, they know I'm the person to come to if they need something, but building those internal relationships. So you know who to go to when you have something that's really critical to your program is very important. Yeah, I would say that's important, but also ROI. So how do you measure ROI for your social selling program and which can be a bit challenging? So what are the ways that you measure the success of your program? Yeah, so I take there's kind of two different approaches from the social selling to the employee advocacy. And did we mention, I think I have a very unique employee advocacy program in that it's not for all employees. It is dedicated to the sales team at this time because they're the ones that need the content, right? So that being said, when I'm looking at the return on investment from LinkedIn Sales Navigator, I have many more tools available to me. LinkedIn is synced to our CRM. They could look at close win ratios. They, we can, I can tell them, here's 10 big deals that closed in Q1. Let's look at what the sales navigator usage was against those accounts. Because oftentimes reps will say, oh, I didn't use LinkedIn or I didn't do this. And you can come back with that data and show them, yes, you actually did. You took these steps, you connected with these people. And then from there, we, we don't look at it as direct return on investment, although there there is direct return on investment, but we look at it as influ how much revenue did we influence through this program? And LinkedIn is able to give me those numbers to show to my senior executives. So that's good. That works. With Sociable, I'm using 
it against paid advertising save at the moment. So for instance, the amount of money that we spent, and, and I think I forgot to mention, we went from 100 licenses to 450 licenses two months, maybe a little less even. Once one of our presidents saw it, he was like, oh my gosh, this is great. I want it. Give it to all my people. So, so anyway, we look at it as how much money marketing would have had to pay on advertising to reach the same size audience. That's our return on investment right now. And now we're looking at how do we leverage this information to get more reps to be involved in the programs, both programs to use them correctly. And we're doing, we do win showcases. Our sales enablement team does a win showcase where we have a, a rep that closed a deal, come in, talk about the steps he took and the, the buyer's journey, et cetera. Now we're going to start taking some of our, our sociable and sales navigator data. And we're going to say, and by the way, John Smith had a 72 SSI and he was one of our top ambassadors for the month of August. So sharing X, X, right? So tying the programs together and then reporting them up. Perfect. So looking ahead, how do you see the social selling program evolving? As I build excitement with other people, so, and and that's an interesting thing too, getting your senior leadership to put a slide in their town hall meeting. It has such heavy impact. Um, they may not want to, they, I think one of the, one of the guys said, well, I don't have a lot of time. We've got a lot of material, but I'll make it a drive-by and that's good. So he's going to focus on here are our top three ambassadors for the month. Let's all congratulate them. They build competition. Salespeople are competitive. They want to be on the top of those leaderboards. So by featuring that kind of content in a town hall or in their <clears throat> QBRs or team meetings can be very impactful. And how do you see the, the program growing? Well, I would say the employee advocacy, my long-term vision. So my long-term vision, and to me, a long-term vision is like a year. So it's not like five years out there. But I see us getting the entire sales team, the 800 reps on here, being successful, and then expanding it back into the other departments to, but then that requires a lot of work on my part to give them the right content, right? I've had marketing people that wanted to be part of the advocacy program and the social selling and LinkedIn. So it's teaching them how these tools work as well, but expanding them into, you know, if I'm a marketer, so when I'm out on my LinkedIn, my audience is other marketers, other people in social media. Obviously my sales team is following me, but I'm not speaking directly to them. So me having content as a marketer that talks about how your Azure database is going to be attacked for cybersecurity isn't going to resonate with my audience, right? So as I build this program out, I have to look more at professional development topics, maybe role specific or not roles. Well, yeah, roles, marketing. Are we going to get PR involved in this? What are they going to do? HR for doing talent acquisition is very important, which is bringing us to talent acquisition and PR. The, the trees program in sociable has been so well accepted. So yeah, long-term, I want to get other departments involved and build a far more robust employee advocacy program across the organization. So now as we we're heading into the end of our podcast, but I've got another question I wanted to ask you 
which is really about some of the key topics that you've learned, or could you share maybe some interesting insights or lessons learned from implementing your program? Uh, maybe give us three three different takeaways that you would tell our listeners. Sure. Number one, never assume that just because somebody attended your training that they understand what you trained them in. Okay. So yeah, you have to you have to do some. The term I hate the most is baby steps, but it really is important that you have to lead them along a path, train them once, train them twice, and then retrain them frequently. Okay. And never assume that they have the time to do what is important to me. So figure out how I can, how I can engage with them or reward them. So building in some recognition, I think is really important and having those conversations on a frequent basis. Three, when speaking to your executives about your program, Program, you've got about three slides to capture their attention before they're on to possibly multitasking. So make sure you get your important data up front first and that it resonates around what they care about. That is some great feedback. I never thought about the three slides at the beginning. Even I can take away from that one. Well, Sandy, I'd like to ask you one final question that I enjoy asking all of our guest experts of Masters of Comms. Would you mind sharing with us the title of a book or film that had a significant impact on you recently and why? Sure. That's a great question. I'm going to actually give you both. So the book, I am a, I have a personal mantra that uh, a day without learning something new is a wasted day. And so I am constantly looking at different books. The most recent book I just completed was The Jolt Effect. Obviously, this has been very spread out through the internet recently, but it's based on by the authors who wrote The Challenger Sale. So in B2B tech and sales reps, that Challenger Sale has been prevalent for many years. So The Jolt Effect was talking about getting deeper into accounts, meeting more people. And that was really important. And that aligned with what I was doing with Sales Navigator on multi-threading. So even to the point where I started recommending that book to my sales reps, you must read this book. It's insightful. But then I have to also nurture my creative side and film that I really enjoyed. It was a documentary called And the Art of Street Art. And just understanding how, because it ties so well, again, to social. I, I love art, but it also ties to social messaging and how we communicate our different feelings and topics around with other people. So those are the two things that really resonated with me in the last, I would say, last three months. Fantastic. So Jolt Effect for the book and Banksy in the Art of Street Art. And Sandy, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed this, our time together. This has been Masters of Calms, the podcast for transformative communication techniques straight from the pros. Find us here for the next episode. See you soon.